our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Charles Spurgeon once said, The greatest enemy to human souls is the self-righteous spirit, which makes men look to themselves for salvation. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly. So let's get started. Jonathan, good evening. What's happening tonight? Hey, Rick. Our question tonight is, once saved, are you set for life? Our theme text is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. All right, Jonathan, I'm going to name several things. All right. First, a goose that lays golden eggs. Second, King Midas and the ability to turn things to gold through the Midas touch. Third, a winning Powerball lottery ticket. And fourth, confessing Jesus as your Savior and inheriting an irrevocable one-way ticket to heaven. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Well, first of all, they all sound really good at the outset as they all provide a way to find some kind of wealth without work. It sounds like fun, Though, if you know the stories of the goose and King Midas, things didn't work out so well. No, they didn't. <laughs> poor, poor goose. <laughs> Secondly, they're not all based in reality. Even Powerball, which has odds of winning placed at over 1 in 175 million, which translates into not going to happen, so don't hold your breath. Wait a minute. Did you just imply that a one-way ticket to heaven is not based in reality? Yes, I did. And no, I didn't. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you thought it was going to be easy, didn't you? I did. <laughs> All right. So, so let let's take a look at this. Once saved, are you set for life? Is our question. Well, to save Rick means to deliver. So, what are we saved from? See, now we really have to understand the answer to that question to be able to uh, figure this whole thing out uh, about the idea of what it means to be saved and who gets to be saved and who doesn't get to be saved and so forth. So the answer is elusive, depending on who you ask. So let, let's, take, let's take the simplest approach that we can think of. Let's go to verses that show us the dilemma that creates the need for saving. And those verses are all about the sentence given to Adam and ultimately to all of us. So, Thank you, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jonathan, it's kind of interesting because we keep going back to the account of Adam over and over and over again. We do. And, and, you so know, why is that? Well, it, it, it sounds like a broken record, but think about it. If you understand the foundation of a building, if you see the shape of the foundation of, of a building, you know what the shape of the building is going to be. The foundation of the entrance of sin 
and therefore the entrance of the need for redemption is what happened with Adam. So let's figure out what the shape is, and then we can see the shape of God's plan. So that's why we keep going back to this, like, like you said, like, like, like a uh, broken record here. So before we get to the account, you know, there, in, in Christianity, there are a lot of different ways of looking at being saved. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And so tonight what we're going to do in the first hour is going to feature one specific perspective on being saved from one Christian denomination. And in the second hour we're going to feature another specific view of being saved from another Christian denomination. Both of these uh, perspectives, in our opinion, have issues with them. There, there, there's gaps. There's, there's difficult things to try to answer that the scriptures you can't seem to get to really fit. So the first perspective we're going to use is from a website called Catholic Answers. It's, it's a Catholic perspective, and uh, it's, it's, it's got, it takes a, it's a little bit over a minute, but it's laying out the idea of what about children. So let's take a listen to Catholic Answers' perspective on being saved, and what about children? In term, you, you mentioned specifically people who would say, well, as long as you're a good person, you'll be saved. Right. The ones that come into play, I have mm-hmm. a friend of mine, I have mutual friends. These mutual friends are Jewish, uh-huh. and they do not believe in Christ. You know, obviously, they do yeah. not accept Christ as a Savior. Right. So to me, that's, um, you know, that's going to condemn them. Well, um, from a Catholic perspective, we'd say it's a source of concern. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to be saved. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior of everybody, whether they know it or not. And it's clear that there are some people who, in this life, don't arrive at a explicit knowledge of Jesus uh, and explicit faith in him, but nevertheless would be saved. An example of someone like a child who dies in infancy. Because, uh, you know, let's say you've got a child, the child's been baptized, but the child doesn't have uh, explicit faith in Jesus in this life. And so it's obviously possible for at least some people who, through no fault of their own, haven't arrived at that faith, to be saved anyway through God's grace. Right. Okay, so he's talking, they mentioned two separate things. Mentioned uh, somebody who is Jewish who does not believe in Jesus, and, and the caller to that particular program said, well, you know, that means obviously they're condemned. Uh, the, the individual answering the call said, well, we just see that as an area of concern. So you've got to say, okay, well, how is it that you get around that? How do, you, how, do you, how do you open the door if there's no belief in Jesus? But then he goes to the idea of little little children, little babies, and he's saying, look, if you have a ba- baby that's been baptized and, and they can't come to the decision, of course God is going to save them. So is that the way it is? Is it that simple? Does that square with Scripture? See, those are the kinds of things that we want to begin to ask and put on the table as we go through the question of what it actually means to be saved. So having said that, let's get to the account. Adam, let's get back to Adam, our buddy Adam, okay? Adam was a perfect man. Now, he was given the ability to think, to choose, and to have blessing and dominion having been created in God's image. So Adam was different than the rest of the creation. He was created on a different level. It's very specific in Genesis. Satan is the father of rebellion. He revolted on his own and then sought to get the human race to follow him in that rebellion. Sounds like uh, Star Wars. Right? <laughs> wait, now, wait <laughs> a minute. <laughs> Hang on. In, in Star Wars, the rebellion are the good guys. Here, the rebellion is the bad guy. 
And, and Rick, what I was thinking of is Satan was looking for control, power, and wealth. Yeah. And he wanted it all. And, and that's a good way to put it. He was looking for those things, and he wanted it all. And that meant drawing the human race to him in a way exactly. that he becomes God to, uh, to us, to the human race. So he lied to Eve, and he couched that lie in a bed of truth. And we've gone over this before, but we're going to touch on it again because we're laying the foundation for what does it mean to actually be saved. And you said it at the beginning, Jonathan, uh, to be saved um, means to means be, to be d- delivered. Right, okay. So let's go to Genesis 3, verses 4 to 5. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what was the, the, the couch of truth? It was that their eyes would be open, and they would be like God. But what, right. but what was the lie? Well, that they wouldn't die. And Eve took the bait. She sure did. So it's interesting because the lie was you're not going to die. And Eve takes the bait on that. And so now you've got a problem. You've got someone who has done something sinful because to sin means to miss the mark. And, right. You know, and it's kind of depressing because anything less than perfection is sin. So we're doing it all day long. <laughs> Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <is> the <laughs> Appreciate that very much. <laughs> you know, but, but Eve in this case was, um, she was deceived. Adam, though, is a different story. Yeah, Rick, Adam chose to disobey. Right. So he wasn't there during the deception. He, no. He came in afterwards, and he had the ability to look at the situation and see what had happened. And he made a choice without the coercion of Satan looking over his shoulder saying, oh, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Just trust me on this. Just trust me on this. So, so let's go to that Adam's choice uh, of, of disobedience. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So it says that she gave it to him and he ate. So, you know, she did it and then she said, oh, look what I have. And I I don't know what the conversation was between them, but you know that there had to be a thought of, well, this doesn't seem quite the way it was. I I imagined it playing out. (laughs) You know, something's not quite uh, quite kosher here. But, you know, again, he, he moves forward. So so Eve, again, Eve was deceived. Adam makes a choice. This represents the first conscious choice of humanity that was contrary to the will and to the way of God. This was big. It was huge. Yeah, and so so we have two things so far. So we have Satan creating a rebellion. That's a big, huge thing. Oh, it is. And now we have the first conscious choice to act in a way that's contrary to the will of and to the way of God. So these are two huge things. And so, again, what does this have to do with, okay, once you're saved, are you set for life? It has everything to do with it because we have to understand what we are saved. And again, the word saved means? It means uh, to deliver. Right. What are we delivered from? This account is giving us all of the things that we're delivered from. Not, and, it, and it's not just... 
typically a typical Christian is when, when when they have that sense of coming to Christ, they feel like okay, I'm saved from my sins and my sins are forgiven, and that's good, right? It is good, and that's valuable, but it's not complete, not even remotely complete, and that's why going over this is such an important place for us to start. So as we go through this, we want to get ourselves set up to um, put this all in order. What are the pieces that have to go be, get put in place? We welcome all comments or questions, even if you disagree with us. Call us. We're live at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. So... We have Adam, the perfect man, given the ability to think and so forth. Adam chose disobedience. Next point is his choice led to a life of sin and an end of death. Genesis three seventeen through 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now who? Because of who? Cursed is the ground because of Adam. Right. It's not because of Satan. It's not because of Eve. It's because of Adam's choice. Okay, go ahead. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Okay, so you have fault laid clearly at the feet of Adam. And it's interesting because it says cursed is the ground because of you. So that means if the ground itself is cursed, if the earth itself is cursed, you think, okay, then something's got to give somewhere along the line with the earth as well, right? Sure. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because you're either going to throw it away or have to bring it back. So this whole, this this one little sin, I I call it one little sin, I'm being very sarcastic with that. This one little sin in the garden created utter havoc on every level imaginable in terms of following after God's plan. So the ground is cursed before, because of you, and that means you're going to have to work your little tail off, again, being sarcastic. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and the ground is going to naturally bring forth thorns and thistles. And lots of weeds. It's going to be tough to toil, it's, to, to, to till, and you're going to work to get that food coming up from the ground, the plant's that are going to grow for you. Right. It's going to be tough to toil. I like that. You've got to till and toil, and, <laughs> and it's terrible. <laughs> it just is a hard, hard thing. This is part of what being saved really is all about, as we're going to find out as we go through the program. So, so let's finish the verse, verse 19. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's kind of interesting that it says in verse 19, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread. When when Adam was created in the garden environment and given the garden to keep, there was no mention of having to you know be sweating bullets to keep the garden going. No, it was peaceful and easy. It was smooth. It probably was work and probably was kind of hard work, but you're right. There was a peacefulness to it. There was a a a, a cohesiveness to it. There was joy in every moment. Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're bringing forth what God has put there. And what God has put there is perfect. 
for every part of your life. But now it's all changed. It's all different. It's all contrary to what God originally put there. So he adds in the sweat of your face and then being returned to the ground. So the dying process included a life now to be built within the confines of imperfection. And that's a whole different building process. You know, if you want to build humanity and you're looking at a perfect environment, that's one building process. But if you're looking at an imperfect, cursed environment, the building process, by definition, has to change. Again, it meant toil and failure on a regular basis, so you, mankind, will return to the elements, not just your body, but you. Death is simply going back to the pre-life state. That's what's being said here. It's the absence of life. And so, Rick, does mankind need to be saved from just the absence of life, or is there more to it? Well, see, and I think that's the point of the first segment here, Jonathan, is mankind needs to be saved from much more than that. Mankind needs to be saved, first of all, from the earthly rule of Satan. Satan was creating a rebellion. In order to be able to exist and be godly, that has to be removed. We have to be delivered from that. Secondly, there was a choice to sin. And so in that choice to sin, mankind has to be able to be delivered from that choice somehow. And the result of following after, um, after Satan and the result of following after that choice is that you have the sentence of death. So there's those three things that end up having to happen in terms of the deliverance of mankind uh, in, in, in being able to be what we call saved. So really... That's what we're talking about here as we, as we lay the groundwork for being saved. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? Coming up, how does this saving process work? That's next. listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so Jonathan, we uh, in the first uh, segment we were really we focused on on Genesis. Uh, we're going to be touching on Genesis a, a little bit more, uh, but not necessarily just the creation account. And laid the groundwork that there's there's three areas that we need to be saved from: Satan's rebellion and his rule the choice of sin, and the, re- and the result of death. Those are the three things that we need to be saved from. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to the sound bites from Catholic Answers, and they're talking about times when salvation doesn't require any um, effort, you know, like for children, for babies, for instance, who, who die before they're able to make uh, a choice. So let, let's just listen to a little bit more of their reasoning. We also acknowledge that God can even uh, potentially save unbaptized children who die. Right. But right. with with someone like uh, people who are Jewish or people who are members of other religions, we would say that if 
it's through no fault of their own that they don't have explicit faith in Jesus Christ, then as long as they otherwise cooperate with God's grace and try to do his will according to the understanding of it that they do have, then God won't hold it against them that they don't have an explicit knowledge of Jesus. And he can go ahead and save them anyway. Uh, this is something that has some some uh, correspondences with things that St. Paul says in the book of Romans, where he talks about Gentiles who don't have the law, meaning they don't know the law of Moses. But nevertheless, he, he opens the possibility that their consciences may exonerate them on the day of judgment. So, okay, so that's kind of an interesting thing, because all Christians say, and it's a scriptural concept, we're going to get to it later, that saving only comes through the name of Jesus. Right. And if this is the opportunity to be saved, wouldn't it be sensible that, okay, you have to see and acknowledge the name of Jesus now? And what they're saying is they're trying to reason around that basic tenet of general Christianity. Now, Jonathan, you and I, we see it differently than that. We do. We do see it differently. And we're going to open that up as we go. But understand there is an inherent issue with the idea of being saved now is the only opportunity, because what do you do with babies? And he said, okay, even, even there's a chance for unbaptized babies to be saved. Well, does that mean there's a chance for all unbaptized babies or some unbaptized babies? Because the babies have no free will of their own. Does it, so does it matter who their parents are? Does it matter where they're born, when they're born? I, you know, so many questions and really so few scriptural answers. So what we want to do is put those questions out and say, okay, stay with us, because we really think that you can lay out scriptures to give clear, concise, resounding answers to all of this, and makes perfect sense. That's just our opinion. <laughs> so, Absolutely. So, so let's, uh, let, we want to offer a logical and sequential process to save or deliver humanity from the clutches of Satan's rule, the misery of sin, and the penalty of death. So there's going to be three main points we bring out uh, this evening, Jonathan. So what's the first main point? Because God is just, he would first require that there would be a just payment for the transgression. Okay, pause there for a second. He's going to require that payment be made according to justice for that sin. All right, go ahead. Adam's life was forfeited. As a result, the lives of all his posterity would inherit that state of forfeiture. To buy back Adam would therefore accomplish buying back his posterity. That is a critical point to understand. If you're going to go and try to, not try to, but if you're going and going to accomplish the, the point of saving, if you will, what you need to do is buy back Adam. Because if you buy back Adam... You buy back everybody that that is downstream from him, okay? That's an important aspect because everybody downstream inherits what Adam started. Therefore, according to justice, everybody downstream from Adam would inherit whatever restitution was offered for him. So let, let's keep that on the, on the shelf for a minute. We're going to come back to that. We're going to build to that. Genesis one twenty eight. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Okay. Billions and billions of posterity. I mean, he says, fill the earth. The earth is a pretty big place. 
And, it sure is. And, and, you know, billions of people. So how do you make this work? How do you save humanity? Well, you begin by giving an assurance, though it might be veiled, though it might be hard to see, and though it might be overlooked, you give an assurance that the entrance of sin is not the exit of God's eternal will. I like that. I love that. The entrance of sin is not the exit of God's eternal will. Right. Wow. It, That's it, big. It is. And we lose sight of that all the time with this idea of what it means to actually be saved. Genesis 3.21 is that veiled promise that was given in the context of all of this destructive behavior. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So how is that a veiled promise? That's very veiled. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, well, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, remember when Adam and his wife realized that they were naked, they covered themselves with leaves. That's right. God, but, but this, this is an animal skin. Right. There, there had to be blood shed. Yes. There had to be a sacrifice made. Right. And it's veiled and it's small and it's hard to see, but it is there. God gave a little message that there's hope through the shedding of blood. There's covering through of shame. There's covering of shame through the shedding of blood. That's really what this comes down to. And to me, Jonathan, that's exciting when you think about, okay, being saved means to be delivered. So you're gonna, you've got you've to put the, place, the pieces in place. You then have to find those who are worthy of trust and form a lineage, because you've got to make this veiled promise come true, okay? Right. the shedding of blood. So how else would you do it than through individuals? So you have to build a lineage, a trusted lineage from, through which salvation can come. Then you have to give them a law that will reveal the sinfulness of sin. See, you have to clearly identify all of the things that, that sin does and creates and, 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 and exposes so that we know exactly what righteousness is and what sinfulness is. So, Rick, it, it seems like saving is a process. And see, it, again, if we understand that God had a plan right from the start to deliver, to save all of humanity, what we need to do is trace the process that he himself put in place through the scriptures. So we could spend the rest of the program on the building process, but we're just going to touch on a few individuals. Noah was a great example of the process of building the lineage. Genesis 6, verses 7 and 8. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, Rick, Noah, he put his faith into action. That's someone God, he, he read his heart and he knew he could use him. Yeah, and you know, this was not just some little action either. This was not less, hey, Noah, you know what I want you to do? I want you to build a house, you know, make it with three bedrooms and, uh, uh, you know, and, and then you can serve me from that house. This ark took 120 years to build. And it was, to, it was a massive, massive structure. And he told him his sons would help him, but his sons weren't born yet. Yeah. <laughs> it was like so, long term. <laughs> right. So faith and trustworthiness were found in Noah. And see, that's a good place to start building a lineage with somebody that has faith. And from God's standpoint, they have faith in you, God, and you, God, can now trust them to carry out your will to the best of their ability. 
So Noah's a good, a good individual to isolate as, okay, if you want to make that veiled promise, that blood sacrifice come true, you find a lineage that can be trusted. Noah was a good place to start that. And, and Rick, that reminded me, he offered a sacrifice when they finally landed on dry land. Yes, they did. he did. Blood was shed to honor God. Uh, it's interesting how that tied together. And it's, it's not merely interesting. It is a powerful lesson of what God's plan is. It really is a powerful lesson. I'm glad you brought it up because it didn't even, didn't even dawn on me in the context of this conversation. It's a powerful lesson to say that there's, there's an end result to all of this. And the end result is going to be very, very permanent. And we're going to get to that. So let's fast forward in time. Now let's get to Abraham. Abraham was another trustworthy, faithful ind- individual. Genesis 12, to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country into your kindred and your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Rick, this reminds me of uh, um, Noah a little bit. Same willingness and faith, but think about the shedding of blood. He was willing to sacrifice his son, but the angel stopped him. But then what was provided yeah a ram in the thicket there in the thicket yeah so again there was sacrifice and and again the interesting thing is abraham first of all his name was abram originally so his name was changed and it kind of gives you a sense of what is required of faithfulness and he was said hey you know get up and leave your home i'm not telling you where you go you're going but i'll show you (laughs) you know on the way again great faith you're going to have a son great faith because he's a very old man so you see these, these aspects of faith coming up again and again and again, and this is all to build the structure of saving, of delivering the human race. And the structure's foundation was cast when Adam sinned, and when, well, I should say when Satan rebelled and wanted humanity to follow, Adam sinned and then death was proclaimed. That needed to be reconciled, and this is how God did it. And he took a long time to do it. He took a long time to get through that lineage. But Abraham was a key factor in that. He had great faith, and it says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I mean, that's an amazing thing. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. I mean, that's powerful stuff. Imagine being Abraham and hearing that and say, wow, that's pretty good. How how does that happen? (laughs) We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So so let's fast forward a little bit more further. Let's go beyond Isaac, Abraham's son. Let's go to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Again. Ah, another name change. Right. Okay. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Genesis 49, 1 and 2, this is when uh, Jacob is now dying. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around, that I may tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and hear, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, blessing each one of them with a suitable blessing. So it, talk, it calls him Jacob and it calls him Israel in the, in, in the same chapter, Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 49, rather, verse 1 and 2, and then to verse 28. And in verse 28, it talks about these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel make up the nation of Israel. 
So from an individual, now right. God's plan is expanding. Right. So now he's going to work through a nation rather than just an individual, individual, individual. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, nation. So his plan for salvation is now expanding. You're creating the, the environment to clearly identify what sin is so you know what it is you need to be delivered from. Through the law. Right. You needed to have the law. And that brings us to the next individual, who is Moses. Let's go to Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Now that's kind of an interesting thing. Moses was considered the great deliverer. But he was also known as the meekest man in the world. (laughs) So how do you do that? How do you be the great deliverer and be the meekest man in the world? And the answer is, you deliver through the strength and direction of God Almighty. It's not because you're so great, but the deliverance that you bring is great because you just end up being a conduit for his grace. The picture of Moses delivering the people shows us what being saved really is. And Jonathan, I just want to touch on something that, that, that I think is important at this point. Remember, there were two aspects of being saved at that point when Moses delivered the people, right? There was the firstborn. Oh, that's right. And then the rest of the nation. Right. All of them were saved, but the firstborn were saved first. first. Yep. And through their being saved, the rest of the nation was able to experience that deliverance. Ah, there's another hint in there about salvation, there's, isn't there? There's a big hint in there. So <laughs> let's remember that when we come back around to this later. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be delivered. This is how God set up the plan so we can understand the deliverance. So we go from, from Moses, and he's talking about a prophet greater than him. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus. Let's go to Hebrews 10.1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. So, even though Moses brought the law, and the law identified sin, the law did not have the ability to bring perfection to humanity. No, it didn't. And no one could keep the law perfectly. Right, Right. because it was too high, it was too difficult. Yes. Because we're all, all born in sin. So... What the law did was it identified sin. Again, to be delivered, you have to really see what you're being delivered from. God made it clear long time ago by putting the law in place. So you finally seal the veiled assurance. Remember that veiled assurance, the, the, the animal skins way back in, in Adam and Eve, with Adam and mm-hmm. Eve? You finally seal that by delivering the long-awaited deliverer, the one who saves, and that's Jesus. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. So that takes the promise given to Abraham that in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed, and says, here's the way to understand that specific particular promise, it's all about Jesus. So in Galatians, it's unequivocal. That's what it was pointing to. So we see the foundation bringing us all the way up to Jesus as you build the building, and then Hebrews 10, verses 4 and 5. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, 
but a body you have prepared for me. So again, what we're seeing here is the fact that the, the, the law was there to show us models, again, of blood sacrifice, of, of having to give something up to get, to get grace back from God. Jesus became the way, the tool of all of salvation, no matter who we are. That's what being delivered is about. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? Coming up, what does this long-awaited deliverer do to deliver? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on our app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, Jonathan, I understand we have somebody with us. We do, Rick. Tonight, we'd like to welcome Rachel, who would like to share a woman's perspective on our topic tonight. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, thank you for having me. Hey, so I have a question right off the, the start here. Is it fair for people to be lost if they've never heard the name of Jesus before they die? No, I think that, you know, there will come a time for when all people will be able to hear from Jesus, but that's not this time now. Very good. Hey, uh, you were doing some research, which I really thought was fascinating, on Muslim and Hindu faiths. What do they believe about salvation? So in the Muslim um, faith, they believe that there will be a judgment day, and on this judgment day that you'll be resurrected to one of three outcomes. So the first outcome is that you'll go to heaven and eternal bliss. The second outcome is that you'll go to hell for a time to atone for sins, and then you'll go to heaven. And then the third outcome, which is the one you don't want, is that you'll spend an eternity in hell, which is a blazing pit of fire. And then in the Hindu religion, they believe in reincarnation until moksha, which is a release from cycle of life and rebirth through attaining the highest level of being. And that involves a life of either actions, knowledge, devotion, or physical and mystical acts. Very interesting. Very unique. Very unique. <laughs> well, now let's, let's get to it. What have you found in your studies that gives you peace or gets you really excited about salvation, God's way? So what I think is so exciting is that, you know, we know that Jesus died for Adam's sin. And because of this, it gives us a chance to start from scratch. Um, but that we have to prove ourselves worthy and we are saved by God's grace. And what this means is that he'll give us his unmerited love and favor by looking at us through Jesus's sacrifice as a ransom for all. 
And Paul told us that in 1 Timothy 2.6. Um, in Revelation, Jesus says that he will grant all those who do who uh, will walk in his footsteps, an opportunity to share his throne in ruling over the earth. But to do that, we have to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the people, there are 144,000 people who accomplish this. And this is mentioned in Revelation 14 and verses 1 through 5. And they successfully escaped the world's defilement and our blameless in their faith before God. Because of this, that they'll be able to have immortality, but it is not possessed through a soul, but it's given as a reward for being faithful to our commitment um, to God. Um, and this is talked about in Revelation 2, verse 10, which tells us to be faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Um, in order to receive this crown of life, though, we have to conform to the desires and will of the Heavenly Father through disciplining ourselves. And if we have this transformation of heart and character, we'll be part of this 144,000. Uh, but this is a lifelong process, and it begins with presenting our bodies as a willing sacrifice to God, and Paul tells us this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, and in order to um, to, pre to uh, present ourselves a willing sacrifice, we have to put on the graces of the Spirit through prayer, faith, and ceaseless effort, and we give we receive the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, we have to put on the fruits of the Spirit, and that's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And that scripture says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Excellent, Rachel. That, that gets you excited to, to be with the Lord, to be faithful, to follow after Jesus. So you're talking about the spiritual salvation, and yeah. we're going we're gonna to be talking about other possibilities as we continue, Rick, uh, through the subject. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for being with us. Thank you. Yeah, Rachel, good, uh, good thoughts, good study, and uh, lots of scriptures. We love that. Thanks a lot for being with us. Thank you very much. All right, take, take, care. take care. Have a good night. Oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> so, so, Jonathan, she mentioned uh, several things, and she really was focusing on one part of the picture. Uh, exactly. You know, you, you asked at the beginning, all right, is it fair that... Um, you know, Everybody ends up having to 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 come to to salvation, um, and, and what happens when people don't know the name of Christ and all of that? And you know there is a lack of fairness in that idea that look, there are some people who live today who never hear the name of Christ through no fault of their own. Now, do exactly. they, do they get the same reward as those who live a life of sacrifice? And is that the way God would really design it? Do they just get and in? Is that fair? <laughs> right. And 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 if that's the case, they do. And if they do get that, then would, why don't we just leave them alone? You know, just let them be. Because if they're going to get there without knowing, because they get there through ignorance, then you, you let them be. So there, there's a lot of issues involved in this. Let's go back to the Catholic answers uh, about the difficulties you have when you make today this world, this age the only time and only opportunity for salvation. So we're just going to go back to that one last time. Uh, and it's also something that the early church fathers talked about, about how there were people before the time of Christ 
who lived according to reason, according to the Logos, even though they didn't have an explicit knowledge of God's law or of Jesus Christ. They nevertheless were living according to the reason that God built into mankind, and so God would overlook their ignorance regarding uh, regarding other things. See, Jonathan, to me, that, that creates more trouble than it saves. You know, there, it's a gracious way of saying, look, you can come to, to come to God without going through Christ because you're, you're, you're basing your life on your conscience and your reason, you know, that, that, is, that can be godly or pointed toward godliness, even if you don't believe in God. And so the, the, the logical question is, well, then why don't we just let everybody go down that path? And, you know, right. let, yeah. let it yeah. be. If everyone gets it, let it be. So there's, it doesn't seem to fit. I guess that's what we're trying to say. It doesn't seem to fit. So what's the scriptural answer? How does this deliverance actually work? Well, there's a scripture that lays this thing out. And it can be a little complicated, so we're going to break it down for the rest of the segment. And it's in Romans chapter 5. This, Jonathan, to me, is one of the great writings of the New Testament. Because if you take it piece by piece, it shows you what the foundation in Genesis was talking about. Let's go to Romans 5. Let's start with verses 12 to 14. Therefore, just as through one man's sin, and sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Okay, so let's start at the beginning there. Through one man, sin entered into the world. And that man's Ad- name was? Adam. <laughs> that was him. Okay. He's entirely responsible, Rick. That's right. And, and it's important to understand that the scriptures tell us that. Because, because the scriptures are emphatic about Adam being solely responsible, they're also emphatic about the role of Jesus. And we're going to yes. see the perfection of that emphasis as we go through this. And now, so the Apostle Paul is saying that Adam was entirely responsible. Everybody, therefore, inherits sin, no matter if you had the law or not, or if you lived before the law, you're all sinful. Now, that kind of contradicts what that soundbite just said, doesn't it? It does contradict Because it, yeah. they're saying, well, you know, if you're living according to a good conscience, God will, you know, have mercy on you. That's not what this is saying. No. This is saying that you're doomed. You're doomed simply because you were born. And now that sounds depressing. <laughs> but but stay with us, okay? Because it's depressing until you know the whole story. So death reigned even before the law was given. Therefore the penalty was clearly upon all of humanity. It didn't matter who you were. You were We all needed to be saved. Right. Every one of us. Before the law, before yep. the flood, after yep. the flood, whether you're, you're a Jew or a Gentile or a Roman or a Syrian, it doesn't matter. You're all in the same boat. Everybody needs to be saved. Okay, so you've got that established in Romans five twelve to 14. Now let's go to Romans 5, verses 15 to 17. They're not going to interrupt you a lot when you read this. Okay. So what else is new, right? (laughs) Right. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many die. Okay. All right. Let's let's pause right there. Because he's saying, when he says, because of the transgression of the one, that's Adam. Adam. It says, the many died. Well, that's everyone. It has to be. Because yeah. he already established that no matter who you are in the previous verses, you're doomed. Yeah. 
Okay? Right. So all humanity, according to this previous verses. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry, but you know what I mean. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So... Again, you can't change the meaning of the many in, this, in the next sentence. It's got to be the same everybody. The all. Yeah. Right. Everyone. So, yeah. and this is saying that the gift of grace by one man, Jesus, was given to the many. So now, we just got through saying everybody's doomed. But now this verse says, but everybody has got the grace of Jesus' sacrifice given to them. So everybody's not doomed. Well, are they doomed or aren't they doomed? Which is it? <laughs> and the answer is both. And it's a little more complicated than that even. So you've got the many, meaning everybody. And the context clearly tells us that. Okay, so let's go, let's go a little further. The deliverer is said to be delivering all of the human race, not just a few faithful souls. Now, it's interesting because Rachel in her comments was talking about just a few who end up being very, very faithful. That's right. But here... It's saying the grace of God is for the many, the multitudes. So it's a very, very different picture. Having made the ransom for all point abundantly clear now, the apostle is going to now develop the focus and help us to understand the pieces of being saved or the pieces of being delivered. Go ahead. This is verses 16 and 17 of Romans 5. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Okay, again, who did death reign over? Everyone, Rick. Okay, so it's still talking about everyone, all right? The one transgression created transgressions resulting in condemnation. And then it says, on the other hand, the one gift arose out of those many transgressions and it, it, it results in justification. And see, that's a key because to be justified means to be made right in God's sight. And Jonathan, if you're made right in God's sight, it means you're no longer wrong in his exactly. sight. Exactly. And how do you get made right? It's through Jesus and you got to have that part. So let, let, let's continue. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Aha. That's what Rachel was talking about. Right. See, now it's shifting the gears and saying, okay, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus. So it's talking about a group. A small group out of that large group. Now, that whole large group receives the grace of Jesus, but much more these few. So there is a qualifier here. And it says they will reign. Reign. That's huge. And if you reign, that means there's, that you have subjects. So what to is reign over. Right. So where do those subjects come from? See, all of this is going to be answered as, uh, once we get into the second hour. So you've got this qualifier applying to the called out ones. Much more they receive this abundant grace and will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Uh, it shows reigning and authority specifics. This is being saved in a different way than the rest of the world. Now remember, this scripture already said the grace of Jesus goes to everybody. All right? But here, 
this is saying these individuals accept it in a different way. We'll, we'll, we'll develop more on this uh, in, in, the, uh, next, uh, in the second hour. Romans 5, let's go to verses 18 to 21. And again, I'm going to interrupt you frequently. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. All right, now see, this is kind of interesting, because he kept talking about the many, you know, and you could kind of argue that, okay, the many could mean just a lot of people. But, yeah, but, now but, the, but here he clarifies it, clarifies it with all. And, I and, love that. And you wonder, well, why did he start talking about the many? And I think, this is a little speculation on my part, but I think the apostle used the many to accentuate that there are a ton of people out there. There are, there's just now. right. There's all of these people that the grace of of Christ will touch, and he's saying now that I've established that it's all men. So he's very clear. One transgression brought condemnation to all men. One act of righteousness it results in justification in being made right before God to all men. So it's saying that all men are made right before God, but we don't see them being made right before God. No, we don't. So how how does that work? Coming up in the second hour, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more deeply. Let, let, let's continue. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Now, there's a huge key. It says through Adam's disobedience, they were made sinners. Through the obedience of Jesus, they will be made righteous. Not yet, but will be. Right. Again, it's about all humanity, and they will be. So th that's kind of cool. Let's continue. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. Now, not that, uh, that people became more sinful, but that sin was more easily defined. Okay, let's continue. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace replaces sin on a wholesale, wholesale scale. And all are spoken of here as on the receiving end of eternal life under a reign of grace. Every Something we don't deserve, and it's unmerited favor, but it's offered. It's given. Right. Everybody is on the receiving end because they all received the sin in Adam. Now, how does that work? Again, second hour. If this two types of being saved is true, then doesn't it present all sorts of logistical questions? Yeah, how many billions are we talking about here? Yeah, yeah, you're talking about billions and billions and billions. It's a difficult task. Folks, listen, we're laying out what it really means to be saved according to the Bible, not according to tradition, not according to one denomination or another, but looking purely at Scripture and following the trail that God left us through the Old and New Testaments to lay out the reason that salvation is actually for all mankind but how does it work who goes where what happens when are you accountable all of that is coming up in the second hour so for jonathan and rick and christian questions we'll be back in just a few minutes but until then once saved are you set for life uh not so much but the good news is everybody will be saved we'll be back soon till then think about it family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. 
spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Tony Robbins once said, Only those who have learned the power of sincere and selfless contribution experience life's deepest joy, true fulfillment. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a very different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the subject on the table this evening? Well, Rick, the question is, once saved, are you set for life? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And uh, that's a verse that we, uh, we just read in the uh, last segment. And we're talking about the concept of being saved. And to be saved means to be delivered. And it's interesting. Uh, Trish, who's our call screener, she's my wife, she came into the room during the break and she says, okay, so what's the question? Once saved, are you set for life? She says, well, how come you're not answering the question? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a good point. And, and, and let, let, let's put that on the table. Once saved, are you set for life? The answer, we believe, truly is No. Once you are saved, once the gift of the grace of Jesus has been give, given to you, that's when the work begins, no matter who you are, no matter who you are. So why do we say that? Stay with us for this hour. We're going to try and put that all in perspective. And again, Jonathan, we're trying to do that by putting a logical and sequential process to save or to deliver humanity from the clutches of Satan's role, the misery of sin, and the penalty of death. Remember, there's those three things we have to be saved from, delivered from. Satan, sin, and the consequence, death. That's what Jesus did in all three of those things. Um, but, and there was one basic point that we made. There was, there's three points altogether in the process, the logical process that God laid out. So the first point from the first hour, Jonathan, why don't you just go over that again for us? Because God is just, he would first require that there be a just payment for the transgression. Adam's life was forfeited, and as a result, the lives of all his posterity would inherit that state of forfeiture. So buy back Adam would therefore accomplish buying back his posterity. Okay, that is absolutely key. The scriptures lay out that it was, and you said it, it's all Adam's fault. It is. It is. <laughs> Just, and, you know, we're, we're emphatic on that because the scriptures are emphatic on that. And because it's all Adam's fault, you buy him back. And when you buy him back, you buy back everybody else. And that, I, Jonathan, that's something that Christianity just seems to miss. So we, we talked about some of, the, some of the explanation and what we think are issues from a Catholic perspective on being saved in the first hour. Uh, in the second hour, we're going to go to the born-again Christian perspective on, on being saved because, again, there are, depending on what denomination of born-again Christian you are, there are, we think, several issues with trying to work it all into being saved right here, right now. And see... We don't think that the Bible teaches that you're, everybody's saved right here, right now. And, and that's why we've got to get through the second hour, because hopefully that will be made clear. But let's go to uh, Desiring God. That's the, the website. Born Again, uh, or can a born again lose salvation? And this is, a, this is an interesting perspective, Jonathan, and we're going to listen to it, then we'll uh, make a few comments following. 
Can a born-again Christian lose his or her salvation? The answer to that question, biblically, is a resounding, clear, emphatic, joyful, glorious no. A born-again person cannot become dead, cannot be unborn again, because, and I'll give some biblical thinking here, try to be as textual as possible, not just theological. Um, The life that is imparted in the new is precisely eternal life. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Has given us. Has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. 1 John 5, 11. So He didn't give us temporary life. He gave us eternal life. We are already participating in the life of the age to come. So His response, His answer, His perspective is an unequivocal you know, if you're saved, you can't lose that favor, period, no matter what. You're not looking Yikes. happy with that. <laughs> no, no. And, 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 you know, he's, he's, he's attributing scripture to it, but I really think that there's a confusion in what it means to be born again. And that scripture, if a man become born again, the, the, the term really is begotten again. Yes. And, you know, there's something more to it than that. And again, we're going to lay that out as we go through uh, this next hour. So we've got the, uh, the, the situation laying out here. So, Jonathan, uh, we're going to go to the phones. We have Julius on the line from Connecticut. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Uh, good evening, Rick. Thank you for taking my call. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, once saved, always saved. I don't think so. I couldn't disagree more with the gentleman that just uh, made that comment. Okay. That, uh, you have eternal life. No, on the contrary. I appreciated uh, Rachel's call yes. a little while ago. Yeah, she had some interesting comments. In fact, she, she took one of the scriptures that I had in mind, uh, Revelation uh, 2.10, Be thou faithful unto and until death, and I will give you a crown of life. But uh, she triggered another scripture when she mentioned Romans 12.1. Uh, 12.2 came to mind. And 12.2 says, Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, it's a work, lifetime work. I agree with you and Jonathan on, on your comments on this. And uh, two, two examples, uh, very quick examples. Look at uh, Job chapter 1. Okay. Okay, Jehovah God was challenged by uh, uh, Satan. And uh, Jehovah God, uh, our creator, could have said, Look, He's my man. He's all set. Done. Uh, you know, slam dunk. No. He let the poor Job be tested for 40 years until he was, uh, you know, he was accepted and uh, until he was proven uh, faithful beyond the shadow of a doubt. And another classic uh, example, uh, Rick and Jonathan, I like uh, Acts chapter 9, mm-hmm. Saul of Tarsus. Okay. When he was converted, okay. you know, uh, the noonday sun struck him bl- blind, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they said, that's it. He's in. No. His work had only begun. Uh, Solotarsus, he became Paul. And then uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verses 25, 26, 27, thereabout, Paul says, you know, 
I got to be careful. I could fail too. There you go. So uh, the answer is it's a lifetime work to be uh, proven worthy, to be uh, have eternal life uh, by given by our Creator and the Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thanks, Julius. We appreciate it. Take Good care. Good Take night. Take care. Jonathan, you know, uh, Julius brought out a great point there. The Apostle Paul himself said he had to be careful lest I myself become a castaway. Now look, if anybody would have had it from the beginning, it would have been somebody like the Apostle Paul. For sure. With all he did, showing his faithfulness for years. Right. But he said, I have to be on edge and be faithful and be sacrificial through everything. So, Julius, great thoughts and scriptures and examples along the lines of, no, once you're saved, you're not set for life. Once you've been given the grace of God through Jesus, that's when the work begins. So the question is, when does the work begin for everybody? If you're a called out Christian, the work begins right here, right now. Uh, so the second point, Jonathan, remember you said the first point was God's just. There had to be a just payment for the transgression. You buy back Adam, you buy back his posterity. The second point is what? Based on the ransom price that buys back Adam and therefore his posterity, you have to build a delivery and educational system for all those billions to be truly informed and led through the process of redemption. This system is most logically made up of people who are not only trained, but are truly trustworthy for such work. Such people of character are found in every walk of life. See, now this is interesting because in the first hour we were talking about building a, a lineage of faith and trustworthiness to get to the ransom price. Now, after the ransom price, you have to build another lineage, not, not a physical generational lineage, but a lineage of people who come under the, the authority of Jesus who are able to do the work of bringing the whole world back, because there's a lot of them. That's right. And, and they're, the world, we already found out, we're going to be justified, made right with God. So how does the world get made right with God? Well, the answer is... It's going to happen, but it's not yet. So let's focus on the called out ones first. Jesus obviously and carefully prepared those whom he called for the rigors of their training. Luke chapter 9, verses 22 to 24. Now you think about it. Jesus comes and he's healing people and he's performing miracles and he's teaching wonderful, beautiful things. And you want to get on the board with that. You want to say, man, this guy has got life just pouring out of him and there's nothing but goodness. So how does he describe the pathway that you're going to have to walk to follow him? Here's what he says. Saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. You know, it's kind of interesting that when you say, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, those three things kind of, in a way, counteract the three things we're being saved for. Satan took rule. You have to follow Jesus, not Satan. Uh, deny yourself. You have to, to, um, uh, to, to choose uh, to, to be obedient and not, and not sinful, and then take up your cross. That is being obedient unto death because the penalty was death. 
Wow, that is a neat parallel. Uh, it's it, it is. It's it's really cool. I mean, look, Jesus is brilliant. Just face the facts. <laughs> He's just brilliant. So for the Christian, being saved is a presently active endeavor. It's work, which is entirely built upon the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus and requires our focus, our attention, and our sacrifice. Just like Julius told us. Right. And, and the Apostle Paul was an amazing example. It's work, and it's hard work, and it's continual work, and it's going to be work until it's over. Now, can just anyone line up as a true footstep follower of Jesus? No. Well, you're pretty emphatic about that. <laughs> Why would you say that? Oh, because of John six forty one through 44. Okay, which says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So that really limits things at this moment, doesn't it? After all of the verses we talked about in the last hour, that talk about everybody being given the grace of Jesus, this is saying the only ones who can follow me are the ones who are drawn by God himself. Right. So that, wow. again, that's a whole seriously different perspective. So participation in this present act of being saved is by invitation only. So if you're not invited, you don't count. Now that sounds pretty harsh. It does. But didn't God throughout this whole plan from the beginning make choice after choice because he read the hearts of those he needed to do the job from... Noah to Abraham to Jacob, Moses, and on. He did. He chose individuals who would be able to handle the rigors of being faithful. And after choosing those individuals, it was for the sake of the everybody else. But right now you have to focus on getting the ones who are going to be working for the sake of the everybody else. So participation in this, in this present uh, act of being saved again is by invitation only so for those who are drawn of god those who are handpicked and drawn of god um here's the, what the process of being delivered or being saved is right now romans 5 1 to 5 and then verses 10 and 11 therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. So, having been justified, having been made right before God, now we can have peace with God. And so, you've been given an incredible gift, justification, and that brings peace with God. You're no longer at odds with God. What else? And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance Proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. So, we have been given the, the learning aids that we need, and the greatest learning aid is the power and influence of God himself working in our lives. That's right. But Jonathan, just realize that there are scriptures that talk about being given that great aid and and walking away from it. That's right. You could lose it. Right. You can. 
Now, it, it, is it a common thing? Absolutely not. No, no. But it can happen if we over, because we never lose our choice. The sin against the spirit right. leads to second death. Right. So, so, so for us, it's all about growth and the effort on our part for the grace that we, we the grace that we receive. It never lacks. It's never short. It's never. It's never. It's it, it's never not enough. This effort to seal uh, is to seal our reconciliation, which takes place here and now. And Rick, many scriptures point out that the call to be a new creature is a call to glory, honor, and immortality. Right. Which Rachel brought out. But everywhere, the Lord indicates that the path to this glory is a narrow one full of trial, testings, and sacrifice. So It takes work. Right. And this is for the ones who are called out. Okay? This is not the everybody else. This is the called out ones. This is how they are delivered. And let's, uh, let's finish the Romans 5 scripture, uh, Romans 5, 10, and 11 now. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So now remember those thoughts, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've received it now. Hold that thought. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? Coming up, why are some saved now? What are they supposed to do with it? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages, errors from the past, and into the light of today, the original good news. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, one thing you just said there is so important. This is the original good news. See, the idea of being saved, the, the concept of, okay, once in grace, always in grace, not true. And you say, oh, well, that's too bad. No, it's not too bad. It's actually necessary to create an environment of perfect righteousness, and right now, it's focused on those who are called out according to his purpose. Those who, by invitation only, are following after Jesus. They are given a very great and mighty reward based on a life of sacrifice and a life of faithfulness. And there's only a few, really, honestly, according to Scripture. So, we've been saved. We've been reconciled. We, we, we talked about that in the last segment. We pass this ministry... Onto the world. Now, we know that because the scriptures tell us that's what we're supposed to do. The question is, when does that happen? And we'll get to that in a second. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, 
and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So now this is kind of interesting because we're saying, okay, now's the time for those who are called out to prove themselves, right? Absolutely. And here in this verse it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Well, how is that possible? And you look at that and you say, well, it can't possibly be, a, be, be applied right here and right now. Because the world is so far off, God is not just saying, oh, well, they're going to be okay anyway. Don't worry, I'm just going to give them a free pass. That's not a present application. And we're going to see that scripturally in just, just a moment. So um, how is it that we pass this reconciliation opportunity onto the world? Well, those who belong to Christ are, the scriptures say, a people for his name, as well as a royal priesthood. And this begins to help us understand the when of the saving of the everybody else. Uh, let's go to First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you shall show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Uh, and you say, okay, that, those are the names that are given to true Christianity. You're chosen, royal, holy, and you are peculiar, by the way. <laughs> I'm told that all the time. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. As long as you're peculiar in a godly way, exactly. I, I say all for it, man. But, but see... These and and why are we called those four different things that we should show forth the praises of of Him who's called us out of darkness? Into we should be letting our light shine to all of those around us as we strive to be faithful. Now, letting your light shine doesn't necessarily mean that you stop everybody on the street corner and preach to them, that you stop working at work and you, and you preach the no, gospel. No, it, it doesn't. It means living a life of great integrity, of great honesty, of great righteousness, and speak words when they're appropriate to be spoken. But there can be a powerful message spoken by the way you live. I'm reminded of my dad. He passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, he used to work at a, at, a, at a big, big manufacturing plant. And it was a, it was a union shop. And so they had certain quotas. And if, if you got the quota fulfilled, you could just, you know, sort of take it easy. My dad could never stop working when he was there. And he'd fulfill his quota by, you know, maybe by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he, had, he was working until 3.30. So he'd be asking, I need more work. I need more work. Now, he's an older guy. And people would have a hard time getting mad at him, but they didn't like it. Because they said, well, you just want to show us up. He says, no, I just want to earn my money. And he didn't have to tell them that he was about something bigger and better. He lived it. And even though it aggravated some, they looked up to him as this example of somebody who stood out because he was different, because he stood for something higher and better. Wonderful example. doesn't have to be with words necessarily. It's with our actions. So when, 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 you know, they're called out and be saved to be a priesthood for the rest of the world, to show them the way. But does the rest of the world want to go? No. No. That doesn't mean, though, that they're not miserable. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, and Jonathan, this next scripture, 
Okay, and, and I'm going to go out on a limb with this, and you know, stay with me because I'm going to say something. And you're going to say, Rick, where are you going now? But uh, this is Romans eight nineteen to twenty one. This next scripture reminds me of this last uh, election for president, and and I'll I'll okay. explain I'll explain this in a second. Okay, <laughs> oh, Rom- boy. Romans eight nineteen to twenty one. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay, now that's not the part about the presidency, but but think about this. It says the the, the, the creation is waiting eagerly to to see who the sons of God are. And you know, we see, we know that as part of the return of Jesus, he comes a part of part of his his, his second presence is having his his whole uh, faithful church with him. So verse twenty. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So the creation was subjected to futility. The creation is longing, is waiting, is looking for deliverance. Now this last election, you either like the results or you don't like the results. (laughs) Either way, people are looking for some kind of hope and some kind of answer. For half of America, they got their hope and they got their answer. For the other half of America, they got doom and gloom. Either way, they're looking and they're banking on if only this would have happened or, wow, this did happen. Well, the bottom line is if Mr. Trump is going to be our next president, and I will tell you flat out that he is not going to be the answer to America's woes. If Mrs. Clinton was elected president, I would tell you flat out, she is not going to be the answer to America's woes. Because what the world waits for is goodness, is hope, and that doesn't come from imperfect humanity. What the world (laughs) needs now (laughs) is Jesus. Verse 21. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Set free from the slavery to corruption. And when you say slavery to corruption, don't you think of politics? <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, and again, this is not a political program. We don't want political phone calls. So if you call about politics, we're not going to put you on the air. The point is we are looking for something. And oftentimes we look through the political system to give us our answer. What this is saying is... There is only corruption there. True deliverance comes in an entirely different way. It's through Jesus and through his, through, through his family. It's through the church, the true church. The called out ones that were faithful. Right. So in the world's misery, they're looking for deliverance. And they're really needing God's help, but they don't even know it. They're hoping for this and hoping for that. Once revealed, the followers of Jesus will then be able to help them Uh, help the world to be saved, help the world to be delivered. So the world's deliverance, therefore, is not a present activity. It's a future activity. Yes. So what we see is the present activity is the shaping, the forming, and the developing of those few true Christians who really do follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The future is for the rest of the world. Having said that, let's go back to uh, uh, Desiring God, the the, the, uh, website or the YouTube channel, Desiring God. And again, their perspective that once you're saved, once you have God's grace, you cannot 
possibly lose it. Now he brings up another line of reasoning, which we want to address with some scriptures right after. But this ends up, this is an interesting point, and, and you know, I'm, you know, we're we're you know disagreeing with these things, but. What we want to do is be able to, to to look at them and say, okay, you know, that that's a legitimate perspective. But somebody who's got who's got some legitimate thinking. But from a, from our standpoint, scriptures tell us something different. It the kind of call that Paul is talking about there is the call of Lazarus by Jesus from the grave. Lazarus, I know you're dead. Now come out, and the call creates the life. And that's what happened to everybody who's a Christian. God's sovereign call created the life. So that means that there's a promise attaching to the call. And here's here's a couple of verses. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. So the logic there is, if you've been called, God is faithful, you will be kept for the last day. Well, God is faithful, but we may not be. And I think that's one of the flaws in that that reasoning. And we'll get to the Lazarus part in a moment. To our live listeners right now, we'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or comments. Call us at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. You can also leave us a voicemail 24-7 or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. And the voicemail would be uh, at our normal call-in number, which is uh, 8-8-6-6-9-8-5-4-2-5-5. So voicemail 24-7. Uh, if you'd like to leave us a message, we'd love to hear from you. So, so Jonathan, he talks about in, in that particular, it's, it's, it's John Piper, I believe, speaking. He, he's talking about the call of Lazarus from the grave is, is exemplifying the call to life from which there is no death. Well, the interesting thing is Lazarus died. You he know? did indeed. Okay, and I think that that represents actually something different. Let's get to that by getting to the third major point of how the plan of God logically and sequentially works. Remember, the second point was, okay, you've got to develop the people who are going to be able to develop the billions of people, and that's through the, 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 the true faithful uh, followers of Christ. What's the third point? So the ransom is paid. The trained and trustworthy are in place now. The restoration can begin. The restoration takes the broken race of humanity and helps them learn to embrace the rule of God on a restored earth by having to answer for their own evil thoughts, words, and deeds and showing them how to choose eternal life through obedience. So logically... Once you get all of the royal priesthood, the chosen generation, the peculiar people all in place, now you can start working on the everybody else because now you've got the team together that's going to help to reconcile them because that's what the scripture said. We're given the ministry of reconciliation. Once we're complete as the body of Christ, now we get to go to work. What do we do? Well, when does it happen? First of all, the saving becomes apparent uh, to those of the world being saved. They're going to know. I promise you, Jonathan, the world is going to know when this is going to change. They will? Yeah. There's a scripture that makes it pretty, pretty straightforward <laughs> and plain. Let, let's read John 5:28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming 
in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, the word judgment there, you got to be careful because some the King James actually says damnation. That is Which a, is a poor translation. That's a bad, bad, bad translation. The word judgment actually means trial. So those who have done good deeds to a resurrection of life, that would be... The followers of Jesus. Now, is it because they themselves were good? No, it's because they sacrificed to try and do the will of God and fell down a thousand times in their lives and just got back up again and asked for forgiveness and tried again to do the will of Christ. That's the difference. They did the good deeds because God took the will for the deed in that, in that situation. And here, those who've done evil deeds, that would be the everybody else. The world. Resurrection of trial. The world will know that they have been given the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus when they wake up from the dead. I... Nothing like being raised from the dead to get someone's <laughs> attention. <laughs> Yeah, hello. I mean, what am I doing here? What happened? Jesus paid the price for you. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Let me show you. I mean, there is. There's nothing like being raised from the dead to get somebody's attention. It's just a simple, straightforward way that God has put his plan into place so it can actually happen. Now, why are we so sure that the being saved comes in two stages? Because there are several scriptures, we're only going to touch on a couple, but there are several scriptures that tell us this very, very plainly. First Timothy uh, 4.10 is one of those scriptures. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. All right, that's kind of interesting. The Savior of all men, but especially... Of those that believe. Now, how can you be the savior of all men, but especially of a few? Well, if you remember at the end of the first hour, we were in Romans, uh, what was that? Romans chapter 5. And we were talking about everybody being uh, able to receive the grace of the, the ransom of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it said, but those who abundantly, more abundantly receive it now will reign, especially of those who believe. So in that Roman scripture, it's fulfilling what's being said in the First Timothy scripture. You see, the specially means there's a special place for them. But everybody is subject to the grace of God through Jesus. So two different classes of people with, with, with a positive effect for the, from the ransom. Exactly. Two, That's amazing. It is. It is. And one more scripture oh, exactly along these lines. First John 2.2. 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, again, you see how it breaks the people up into two different categories. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. As a Christian, you know that. You know, as a Christian, the New Testament is written for you. But it's written about how you get to be faithful and about what you will get to do later with the rest of the world. The atoning sacrifice for our sins, but also for all of them. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Nobody, nobody gets left out because the, the grace of Jesus touches every man because that's what justice required. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Tonight's episode is 
Once saved, are you set for life? Coming up. So, if being saved is at a different time for the world, does it still work the same way? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Tonight's episode is Once Saved, Are You Set for Life? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, so, Jonathan, as we go through this question, once saved, are you set for life? We keep saying no. The answer is no, you're not. It, that's when the work begins. Because being delivered simply means having the grace of the ransom of Jesus applied to you. Those who follow after Jesus have it applied to them now because they uh, have given up their life rights to, to earthly life to tr- follow Jesus to heaven. But it's a lot of work. Those rest of the world who have the ransom applied to Jesus will have it applied later once they are raised from the dead. And believe me, they'll know that they're raised from the dead. And it's going to take a lot of work. And that's the point. It always takes work. And the question you asked at the end of the last segment is, well, is, is it the same kind of work? And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Let's do one more soundbite from uh, Desiring God, the YouTube channel Desiring God, uh, John Piper. Because, again, he's, he's making the argument uh, that, you know, once you're saved, there's, it's impossible for you to fall away. And, you know, I, I just can't see it from a, from a scriptural standpoint. So let's just, uh, let's just take a listen here. Well, what about people who are in the church? They've been deacons or elders. They, they look like they got saved in college, and here they are five years later, and they're, they've thrown it all away, and some of them die in that condition. Uh, what about them? And I think there are two key verses that people should think about long and hard. And one is 1 John 2.19. They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they were not all of us. And of us in that verse surely means born again with us grafted into Christ with us and they weren't they looked like they were they said some of the right things they had tasted of the powers of the age to come but they were not born of God so you know he's saying well you know they've they've had all those things but if you have tasted of the power of God you have been given the spirit of God there's no other way to be to be able to taste it. And and Hebrews four verses four to six uh, really go or six verses four to six. I'm sorry goes into that in great detail. So go ahead. You look at well. I, I was thinking of of the the travesty. Uh, Christians that believe you have to be saved are horrified for their family and friends that don't yeah. believe in Jesus. I mean, after all the scriptures we've read, is that a justified? attitude you know that's a and i'm glad you used the word travesty because that's exactly what it is when you think about it and you see how the plan has 
allowances for the everybody else. There are allowances because the grace of the ransom of Jesus, Romans 5 told us, unequivocally touches every man. And we know that they will be touched by it, that it will be applied to them after they are raised from the dead, as, as, as Jesus said in John 5, 28 and 29. So no, it's not a, according to Scripture, Jonathan. Now, according to, to, to tradition, that's a different story. But according to Scripture, that is not a justifiable concern. It's not according to Scripture. So salvation for anyone at any time must come through the name of Jesus. We, you got to realize that it has to be through the name of Jesus. And all of the talk about, well, what about those born before Jesus? Okay, we have an answer for that. What about babies? We have an answer for that too. All right, and the answer is Acts 4, uh, 10 to 12, first of all, and then we'll get to, to further details on that. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So the idea that people before Christ could have somehow come upon the meaning of the name of Christ doesn't hold water according to the scripture. And Rick, think about the humbling uh, it will be for the natural Israel to be resurrected and realizing that he was the Messiah. Yeah, right, right. They'll, they'll quickly rejoice and honor and praise God and, and worship, but they will be humbled at first. And think how humbling it will be for the world who have looked for their salvation in their political figures and in their, in their, in their uh, agendas and all of that, to realize that none of what we could do could save us. What saved us is the name of Jesus, the one we laughed at, the one we ridiculed, the one we said, oh, those people are pretty stupid to believe in that fairy tale and that fantasy. And yet you're brought back to life because of Jesus. Think of the humility That'll have wow. to come with that. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and that's where the work begins. You know, the account of Mars Hill, when, when, when the Apostle Paul went to Mars Hill and was preaching, he was preaching to a very, very pagan audience. If we look at this account, his preaching to this pagan audience, it's actually a template of the future process that all men will be saved by. So the template says, first of all, they're going to have to realize their lack. Paul, in preaching at Mars Hill brought that up at the beginning of his discourse, if you will. Acts 17, uh, we're going to just do, we're going to do 22 to 31, but right now we'll do 22 uh, and 23. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. This is a beautiful way to lay out the template. Because the Apostle Paul doesn't say, and, and forgive my bluntness, doesn't say, Men of Athens, you're all a bunch of idiots. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you're worshiping pieces of rock, for goodness sakes. There's no life. There's no salvation. There's no anything. Will you please wake up? He doesn't say that. What he says is, I see that you're religious. I see that you're looking for hope. I see that you're looking to be dedicated to something. 
And I also see that you want to make sure you got everything covered so there's an image to the unknown God. Let me show you who this unknown God is. He is so subtle and so beautifully finding their attention so he can show them. And Jonathan, I believe in the resurrection, that's the way it's going to work. You were trying hard in your agenda to find goodness in humanity. Let me show you the unknown way that you didn't realize was there. And it's interesting. There's a prophetic fulfillment of this lack being fulfilled in Zechariah chapter 8, verses 20 to 23. So we're going to come back to Paul at Mars Hill in just a moment. But let's go to the prophetic fulfillment of this first in Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that people will come, even the inhabitants of many cities, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts, I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So that prophetic fulfillment shows us with gentleness and with, and with force at the same time, that God will be shown as God, period. And all of the other configurations of God are just going to melt away. And this is going to touch the whole globe yeah. during resurrection. Right. All these nations right. will get it and will look to Israel and the blessings from Jerusalem. So what happened when Paul was speaking at Mars Hill, he said to them, I realize that you're religious. I realize that you're looking for hope. You're looking for something to follow. And look, Jonathan, for many, many people in our, in our, in our country today, in the world today, they're looking for something, somebody to follow. And they're always coming up disappointed. Always coming up disappointed. And, oh, maybe this will be the guy, or this will be the woman, or this will be, be the, 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 the change, whatever it is. And it always ends up falling apart. And that desire for finding positive change, that little desire will be pulled and say, okay, come this way. Let me show you the unknown way to do this. And that prophecy says that the salvation, while it comes from Jesus and his true church, is also going to work through physical Israel, the physical nation on the physical earth. And it says that men will come from all nations and Go to, to, to the man who's a Jew saying, hey, we want to be with you because we've heard, we can see that God is with you. And it's interesting because those from other nations would not have previously recognized God as God. That's right. Okay, they would have recognized God as some fantasy. But now they and see... And how many nations hate the Jews? <laughs> <laughs> so... You can do a whole it, program It all that. comes around. <laughs> it does, it does. But the beauty is that that's how salvation, that's how deliverance is actually going to work. And once you're delivered, does it mean you're all set? No. It means that now you can start to become righteous. That's what it truly means for the world in the future. So let's go back to Mars Hill, the template. Now remember, the template started with realizing their lack. They needed to understand the unknown God, and the apostle was gentle and showing them the unknown God. Now, the template says, they need to realize they have misplaced their honor, their giving of honor. They've put it in the wrong places. So we're back in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. The God who made the world and all things in it, 
since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from every one, every one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of our own poets have said, for we also are his children. So he not only is showing them through their idolatry how to find the true God, he's also using their own poets to remind them that there's something bigger than all of the things that you've thought about, all of the things that you've talked about, all of the things that you've invested your time and effort into following. He's saying God doesn't need us to, 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 to leave a sacrifice of meat before the... the um, the idol, you know, and Jonathan, that, that ended up being a, a big issue in, in the early Christian church, is meat that was left offered to idols was oh, left there, yes. and then when the idol didn't eat the meat, <laughs> it was taken to the market and sold secondhand. Right. A- and it's cheaper. And so it was cheaper to buy meat sold that had been offered to idols because, you know, it was a day old. And a piece of stone couldn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so he's saying all the things that you're trying to do to appease these gods is, is just a... He's gently saying it's a waste of time. So the template is saying you've been misplacing your honor. You've been misplacing what you are being faithful to. A prophetic fulfillment of proper honor is given to us in in Psalm 86, verses 7 through 10. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. And that's the bottom line. That's the prophetic answer to misplaced honor, is to find properly placed honor by realizing that God Almighty is the only one. You know, it's interesting... Um, when uh, Rachel was speaking in the, in the, in the first hour, she had mentioned the Muslim perspective and Hindu perspective. Now, Hindus yes. have like a million gods, literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muslims have one god named Allah. Allah is not the god. No. Every Muslim, who, and every Muslim will be resurrected. Make no mistake. They will come to realize that the god of Abraham is not what they thought he was. He is something very different and so much greater than their interpretation. And it's through Jesus, who they reduced to just being a prophet and a good old guy, they're going to realize that it was through Jesus, not through Muhammad or anybody or anything else, but through Jesus that they actually have life. What a beautiful thing and a great learning path that they're going to have to take. So once you are given that grace, doesn't mean the job is over. It means the job is just beginning. Let's go back now. So the, the, the template in Mars Hill... You had to realize your lack. You had to realize that you were misplacing honor. And then the template says at the Mars Hill, in the uh, Acts 17, now verses 29 to 31, now here's where you are saved. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of men. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men, that all people everywhere should repent, 
because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. That's interesting, by raising him from the dead. He's not talking about Lazarus. He's talking about Jesus. Right. And, and he's saying that God has fixed a day. Now, when he says that, he's not saying that it's going to be tomorrow or next week or next month. He's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. And not a 24-hour day. Right. It's right. a time period. Right. Right. As the scriptures plainly tell us, a day, day to the Lord is a thousand years. So once saved, you are set not for life but you are set to now begin on the path of life. And now you've got to prove yourself to be righteous and to be working along the lines of what God would have you to be. And what are those lines? Go back to the Garden of Eden. What was required of them? To be obedient to his will and his way, and he would bless them. To be perfectly obedient all the time. Satan got in the way, and we have to get away from. We have to be delivered from the 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 rule of Satan. We have to be delivered from the 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 choices of sin, and we have to be delivered from the end result of death. Uh, the last prophetic fulfillment, Jonathan. We've got a little less than a minute left. Isaiah forty-two verses three and four. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. That is such a beautiful scripture. It's such a beautiful scripture. It's talking about in that day, in that day of judgment, a bruised reed, he's not going to break. He's not going to be so harsh. That he's so no merciful. Choice. Right, right. He, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed. Until he has, dis has, has established justice in the earth. This is not in heaven. This is in the earth. That's when it is. That's what it's about. It's all about earthly salvation through the faithfulness of the true Christians who end up in heaven. So you have the heavenly salvation. You have the earthly salvation. What do you have? Everybody has the opportunity to be saved, to be delivered. And remember... Once you are delivered, your work then begins to walk the path of life. For the Christian now, it's the path of sacrifice. For the human being later, it's the path of righteousness and following God's will. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us tonight. This is an important subject that there's a lot of different perspectives on, and we hope you've given something to really, really think about, because the plan of God includes everyone. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. Until then... Once saved, go to work. It's righteousness or sacrifice, now or later. Till next week, think about it.